welcome back, guys. Um, I'm doing a bonus episode of Hawk Droppings this week. I was going to do this as a Hawk After Dark, um, but then I decided that I wanted it to have uh, a little bit of a wider reach. Um, so buckle up for this one. We're going to talk about the Alabama Supreme Court decision on embryos and in vitro fertilization. And I'm going to start this one off a little bit different in the following way. Uh, in 2021, Alabama was the fourth worst state in the United States as far as rankings in major categories. 47th in education, 45th in healthcare, 43rd in crime and corrections, 38th made it into the 30s uh, in overall economy, 37th in both opportunity and natural environment. The median income for the state of Alabama is $35,000 a year. 36% of the population of Alabama is college educated. I don't mean to be ripping on Alabama as a state uh, or its population in general. Uh, I know Incrediberry lives there. Lauren P. lives there. Two of my favorite people on TikTok. Alabama is also the third worst state in child well-being. Nearly a quarter of Alabama's children live in poverty. 20% of the state's children experience food insecurity on a regular basis. Here's my favorite. Alabama ranked near the bottom in life expectancy. <laughs> people in Alabama live a decade less than people who live in San Francisco, which has the nation's highest life expectancy. <sighs> Alabama has the nation's fourth worst infant mortality rate. So bad that the March of Dimes gave the state an F. The state averages seven infant deaths per thousand live births compared with around five nationwide average. Not surprisingly, Alabama was ranked the worst state in the South for women. The state scored D's and F's in every statistical category for women, including political participation, earnings, poverty, work, family, health, reproductive rights, and general well-being. Uh, there isn't a soul in this state who hasn't been affected negatively by Alabama's decision not to expand Medicaid or its decision not to participate in the insurance exchange established under Obamacare because, you know, black guy. Over the last 10 years, more than a dozen hospitals throughout the state, mainly in rural areas, have closed. Now for a large part of the population, <clears throat> the nearest hospital is an hour away. <clears throat> People in the state seem to be trapped in an unbreakable cycle of poverty. And uh, the person who wrote this article is like, this is an election year, and as far as I can tell, not a single Republican running for statewide office or for any office has mentioned any of these massive problems and issues that affect everyday Alabamians. If government agents are taking your guns or if anyone, you know, defines CRT, critical race theory, much less tries to put it in an Alabama classroom, I know some people who could help you, the author states. 
I'm going to read these last two paragraphs of this article. The reality is there are a lot of people in this state suffering every day from legitimate problems that have been solved, or at least that have not been solved, or excuse me, from legitimate problems that have been solved or at least adequately addressed in other states. We all know it. These are our friends, our neighbors, hell, even us. And every single day, people complain and whine about the inept, crooked government that never works for the people of Alabama. They complain about their lives, about their taxes, about their schools, about their roads, about their basic government services. And they wonder out loud why nothing ever changes. Here's your answer. Because in 2022, when you had an opportunity to demand that your elected representatives were knowledgeable, competent people who were informed on the issues affecting the state and had viable plans to address these problems, you instead voted for the people who vilified trans kids. And boy, if that ain't today's GOP in a nutshell. Now... Next, we're going to talk about the Alabama Supreme Court itself. I printed out the bio for each member of the Alabama Supreme Court. Tell me if you pick up on anything that all of these folks have in common. Chief Justice Tom Parker was first elected to the Alabama Supreme Court in 2004. He was reelected in 2010 and 2016. He was elected Chief Justice in 2018. Chief Justice Parker was founding executive director of the Alabama Family Alliance, now the Alabama Policy Institute. See, with that name change, it's kind of hard to figure out what they're all about. First name told you what they were all about. Second name, not so much. It's a state organization associated with Dr. James Dobson and Focus on the Family. Chief Justice Parker is a Montgomery neighbor or native. He and his wife, the former Dottie James of Auburn, have been married for 42 years. They are a member of the Fraser Church. Justice James Greg Shaw was born in 1957, raised in Birmingham. He is married to Samantha Sam. Shaw. They met while at Auburn. They married in 1980, just before Shaw's second year of law school. He was elected uh, to the Supreme Court in 2008, re-elected in 2014 and 2020. Justice Shaw has been recognized by the Young Harris College and University of Georgia Beekeeping Institute as a master beekeeper. Justice and Mrs. Shaw are members of the Auburn United Methodist Church. Justice Alessa Kelly Wise, a fifth-generation Alabamian raised near her family's small rural farm. She attended public schools. She and her husband, former Montgomery District Court Judge Arthur Ray, proud parents, they have a daughter, they are members of the St. James United Methodist Church, where Justice Wise has taught children's Sunday school, vacation Bible school, small group Bible study, and has served on the parish staff relations board. Justice Tommy Elias Bryan, 
1974 graduate of Brantley High School, native of Alabama, grew up on a family farm in Crenshaw County. Uh, he was elected, yada, yada, yada. Justice Bryan is married to the former Pamela Mizell of Tuscaloosa, and they have two children. The Bryan family lives in Montgomery, where they attend Montgomery's First Baptist Church. Justice Bryan is a deacon there and is a member of the Sanctuary Choir. He also teaches an adult Sunday school class. Justice William Sellers was appointed to the court by Governor Kay Ivey. Justice Sellers and his wife, Lee, have been married for 35 years. They are members of the Trinity Presbyterian Church. Justice Brad Mendheim uh, was appointed to the court by Governor Ivey in 2018. Justice Mendheim and his wife, Michelle, who is from Piedmont, Alabama, have been married for more than 23 years. They have three sons. Justice Mendheim and his family are longtime members of First Baptist Church of Dothan, where he serves as a Sunday school teacher, deacon, and church trustee. Justice Sarah Hicks Stewart was elected in 2018. Uh, she is married to Craig Stewart, originally from Selma. They have two kids. Justice Stewart has been active in the Mobile, Alabama community as a member of Leadership Mobile, Junior League of Mobile, 15th Place Homeless Service Center Board, Girl Scouts, Magic Empire Board, and the Ashland Place Methodist Church. Jay Mitchell uh, was elected to the court in 2018. He's formerly an accomplished litigator. He was born in Mobile and grew up in South Alabama and in Homewood. Justice Mitchell and his wife, Elizabeth, have been married for 21 years. They have four children. He is a member of the Federalist Society. They reside in Homewood and are longtime members of the Church of Highlands. Last, we have Justice Greg Clark, or uh, excuse me, Greg Cook. He was elected to the court in 2022. Uh, he has been married to his wife, Kimberly, since 1988. They have three children. Justice Cook has been a faithful member of the Dawson Memorial Baptist Church since 1991, where he was ordained as a deacon and served as a youth Sunday school leader for over 20 years. Wait for it. Justice Cook also gives back to his community by volunteering his time. The Boy Scouts have, rep have recognized him with the Silver Beaver Award. Justice Cook has also spent countless hours volunteering in election administration and election disputes over the years. So I may have to look up his record on that. Okay, let's get to, well, let me mention a couple other things. Every member uh, of the Alabama Supreme Court is white. They have nine members. Two of them are women in a state that has a 27% black population, 5% Hispanic population, and a 65% white population. Now, let me just pop this out of here. The framing of this case on the first page, you can see where I highlighted there. involves two deceased embryos, embryo A, embryo B. Uh, 
from one couple to deceased embryos from another couple, embryo C, embryo D. Uh, and the last, the third couple appears to have named their deceased embryo. So we're already off to a rock and start. Um, deceased embryos. That's a curious term for me. The majority opinion was written by Justice Mitchell. Um, and let me just break down this little part here. In which Justices Wise and Bryan concur. Uh, the Chief Justice, Parker, concurs specially and wrote his own opinion. We'll talk about that. There were two other concurring opinions from Shaw and Mendheim. Uh, and Sellers, um, and then Justice Cook dissents with one with an opinion, and we'll talk about that in a few moments as well. Uh, reading through this opinion was a lot. Uh, well, let's just dive in. This court has long held that unborn children are children for purposes of Alabama's Wrongful Death of a Minor Act a statute that allows parents of a deceased child to recover punitive damages for their child's death. Uh, the, one of the questions is whether the act contains an unwritten exception to the rule for extra uterine children. That is, unborn children who are located outside of a biological uterus at the time they are killed. Let me read that again. That is, unborn children who are located outside of a biological uterus at the time they are killed. The wrongful death of a minor act applies to all unborn children, regardless of their location, whether they are located in a womb or not. Just trying to process that intellectually for me is challenging. An unborn child located outside of a biological uterus at the time that they are killed. Extra uterine children, which if that's not a band name, I don't know what is. Um, the plaintiffs in these consolidated appeals are the parents of several embryonic children, each of whom was created through in vitro fertilization and until the incident giving rise to these cases, had been kept alive in a cryogenic nursery while they awaited implantation. They were frozen. They were frozen. They were frozen. They're frozen. They're not playing Little League. They're not running late for cheer practice. They were frozen embryos. Between 2013 and 2016, each set of parents went to a fertility clinic uh, operated by one of the defendants to undergo IVF treatments to help the plaintiffs conceive children by joining the mother's eggs and the father's sperm in vitro, that is, outside of the mother's body. And then they are placed in a cryogenic nursery, a facility designed to keep extrauterine embryos alive at a fixed stage 
of development by preserving them at an extremely low temperature. They were frozen. They never used the word frozen in this opinion. They were frozen. The parties agree that if properly safeguarded, an embryo can remain alive in a cryogenic nursery indefinitely, several decades, perhaps longer. So can they live long enough to qualify for Social Security? If they're alive and they're being preserved for 70 years, can they collect Social Security? Do they get Social Security numbers? The plaintiffs allege the center was obligated to keep the cryogenic nursery secured at all times. But in December 2020, a patient at the hospital somehow managed to wander into the center's fertility clinic through an unsecured doorway. The patient then entered the cryogenic nursery and removed several embryos. The sub-zero temperatures at which the embryos had been stored freeze-burned the patient's hand causing the patient to drop the embryos to the floor, killing them. It causes of action for negligence, wantonness, including damages for mental anguish and emotional distress. Uh, the third couple filed a breach of contract claim. And one of the questions is, are these minor children or are they property? Uh, the defendants, the medical facilities, asked, uh, they filed motions to dismiss with the trial court. The trial court granted those motions. In each of its judgment, the trial court explained its view that, quote, the cryopreserved in vitro embryos involved in this case do not fit within the definition of a person or a child, and it therefore held that their loss could not give rise to a wrongful death claim. The trial court also concluded that the plaintiff's negligence and wantonness claims could not proceed. Specifically, the trial court reasoned that, to the extent those claims sought recovery for the value of embryonic children, the claims were barred by Alabama's longstanding prohibition on the recovery of compensatory damages for the loss of a human life. And I'm going to have to dig into that on an entirely different episode. Uh, the opinion continues. And to the extent the claims sought emotional distress damages, the trial court said they were barred by the traditional limits to Alabama's zone of danger test, which limits for emotional recovery uh, or emotional injury only to plaintiffs who sustained a physical injury or were placed in immediate risk of physical harm. So we're, we're six pages in, okay? We're six pages into this thing. So then we hop over to the analysis section of the majority opinion. Uh, the parties to these cases have raised many difficult questions, including ones about the ethical status of extrauterine children. <coughs> You're going to love the conclusion in this. <coughs> Excuse me. The application of the 14th Amendment to the United States Constitution uh, to such children and the public policy implications of treating extrauterine children as human beings. Get ready for the sidestep. Here it comes. But the court today need not address these questions because, as explained below, 
the relevant statutory text is clear. The wrongful death of a minor act applies on its face to all born, all unborn children without limitation. We're not going to address questions of ethics, the Constitution, or public policy concerns, you know, consequences of a decision like this. We're just going to deal with this one little thing and lob a hand grenade into the entire IVF industry. Okay, wrongful death claims. All of the parties to these cases, like all members of this court, agree that an unborn child is a genetically unique human being whose life begins at fertilization and ends at death. This is a state Supreme Court. The parties further agree that an unborn child usually qualifies as human life, human being, or person as those words are used in ordinary conversation in the text of Alabama's wrongful death statutes. That is true, as everyone acknowledges, throughout all stages of an unborn child's development, regardless of viability. Jesus. The defendants argue that this court should recognize an exception for extrauterine children because they say an unborn child ceases to qualify as a child or person if that child is not contained within a biological womb. The plaintiffs call bullshit. <laughs> I mean, that's not what's written in the opinion, but, you know, that's effectively what they did. Um, it, so the defendants, they want, them, they want the state, they want the Supreme Court to carve out an exception to the wrongful death of a minor act for IVF and for uh, frozen embryos, you know, frozen embryos. That's like they're frozen embryos. Under the defendant's test, even a full-term infant or toddler conceived through IVF and gestated to term in an in vitro environment outside the body would not qualify as a child or person. Does that even happen? Does that happen? Are, are children, I mean, do we, do we have, do, do we have, you know, virtual wombs? <sighs> oh, oh, God. Again, these are weighty concerns, but these cases do not require the court to resolve them as explained below. <laughs> because neither the text of the wrongful death of a minor act, nor this court's precedents exclude extrauterine children from the act's coverage. Did I mention that the wrongful death of a minor act was first enacted in 1872? That becomes important later on in the analysis when the court starts talking about originalism and contextualism and understanding what the authors of this law meant at the time in 1872 when, you know, we didn't even have penicillin yet. But apparently we had in vitro fertilization and cryogenic nurseries in 1872. 
First enacted in 1872, the Wrongful Death of a Minor Act allows the parents of a deceased child to bring a claim seeking punitive damages, quote, when the death of a minor child is caused by the wrongful act, omission, or negligence of any person, close quote, provided they do so within six months of the child's passing. The act does not define either child or minor child, which, you know, because it's fucking obvious what those definitions were in 1872. But this court held in Mac v. Carmack that an unborn child qualifies as a minor child under the act, regardless of that child's viability or stage of development. The ordinary meaning of child means children that have not yet been born. I don't know that the ordinary meaning means frozen in a tube in a cryogenic nursery stored at sub-zero temperatures. But apparently I'm wrong on that. Uh, They go through multiple pages of, oh, I got to highlight this one. Um, They go back and forth, expanding the definition, narrowing it, expanding it, talking about other terms, da-da-da-da. Those expressions are in keeping with the United States Supreme Court's recent observation that even as far back as the 18th century, so the 1700s, the unborn were widely recognized as living persons with rights and interests. See Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization, United States Supreme Court Opinion, 2022. That's the opinion that overturned Roe versus Wade and was written by the illustrious Samuel Alito. Now, here's an interesting thing. Alabama has a state constitution. Every state has their own constitution. The Alabama state constitution, however, contains a section which is titled Sanctity of Unborn Life which acknowledges, declares, and affirms that it is the public policy of this state to ensure the protection of the rights of unborn children in all manners and measures lawful and appropriate. Uh, That section operates in this context as a constitutionally imposed canon of construction directing courts to construe ambiguous statutes in a way that protects the rights of unborn children equally with the rights of of born children. This court's precedents do not compel creation of an unwritten exception for extra uterine children. That phrase, that two word phrase is, it's just like, it's like, it's like chewing at the base of my skull, extra uterine children. You know who extra uterine children are children who've been born, who are alive who have a pulse. Those are extra uterine children because they've come out of the uterus. They are no longer inside the uterus. Instead, they ask us to recognize an unwritten exception for extra uterine children in the wrongful death context because they say our own precedents compel that outcome, blah, blah, blah. They shoot that down. Um... Yeah, this stuff doesn't matter. Um, So then 
the defendants and their amicus, people who submitted amicus briefs, uh, friend of the court briefs, people who and entities and organizations who are not parties to the case, but seek to have some input in the case, uh, they submit briefs for the court to consider. About so, and, and this is the public policy uh, place, the section. Uh, emphasizing undesirable public policy outcomes that they say will arise if this court does not create an exception to wrongful death liability for extrauterine children. In particular, they assert that treating extrauterine children as children for purposes of wrongful death liability will substantially increase the cost of in vitro fertilization in Alabama and could make cryogenic preservation onerous. Onerous means bad. <laughs> I, I'm telling you, man, it's, it's challenging. It's challenging. It's very, very challenging for me to like come up with jokes or things that are funny to say when I'm reading an opinion like this. It's apocalyptic. I, it's like, you know, I know everybody loves the sound of my laugh, but it's like there is nothing in this opinion to laugh at. There's just not. It just isn't. Um, but this is, this opinion is white Christian nationalism, period. And wait until we get to the Chief Justice's concurrence. And so the main point being the conclusion that they reverse the trial court's dismissal of the plaintiff's wrongful death claims and determine that extra uterine children, meaning embryos that are frozen in a cryogenic storage tank filled with liquid nitrogen, are people, human beings, fully formed, functioning human beings. Now, speaking of Sunday school, and church and the Bible, let's get to Chief Justice Parker's concurring opinion. A good judge follows the Constitution instead of policy, except when the Constitution itself commands the judge to follow a certain policy. In these cases, and he's talking about the Alabama State Constitution, Sanctity of Life section, these cases, in these cases, that means upholding the sanctity of unborn life including unborn life that exists outside the womb. Our state constitution contains the following declaration of public policy, and it's the sanctity of life thing. Therefore, I take this opportunity to examine the meaning of the term, quote, sanctity of unborn life, unquote, and to explore the legal effect of the adoption of the sanctity of unborn life amendment to the constitution as a constitutional statement of public policy. Now, here we go. Then constitutional interpretation must start with the text. It almost, it, but it must also include the context of the time in which it was adopted. And he's, he quotes Antonin Scalia, yada, 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 and all of the historical sources. And he's like, it comes from God. Sanctity of life comes from God in the Bible. Sanctity of life comes from God. At the time it was adopted, uh, the word sanctity 
was defined as the holiness of life and character, godliness, the quality or state of being holy or sacred, sacred objects, obligations, and rights. Then he's like, you know, there were some people who tried to argue the sanctity of life in secular terms. Ah, ah, but, but Chief Justice Parker sees through that. He sees right through that. It's like, not on my watch, kids. It's God, period. It is God. It is God. Can't accept the secular uh, definitions uh, because this kind of acceptance is not foreign to our Constitution, which in its preamble invokes the favor and guidance of Almighty God and which declares all men are endowed with life by their Creator. The Alabama Constitution's recognition that human life is an endowment from God emphasizes a foundational principle of English common law, which has been expressly incorporated as part of the law in Alabama. God. It's God. God. Common usage of this phrase, referring to the view that all human beings bear God's image from the moment of conception. From the moment of conception. Yeah. I love this. But the principle itself that human life is fundamentally distinct from all other forms of life and cannot be taken intentionally without justification has deep roots that reach back to the creation of man in the image of God. And there he cites the book of Genesis in the King James Bible. Chapter 1, verse 27. King James, by the way, was gay. I'm not kidding. Had many homosexual relationships. The guy who wrote the King James Bible. Gay. One 17th century commentator, so the 1600s, uh, so I can see where this opinion does have a lot in common with the Dobbs decision from Justice Alito, who, you know, cited witchcraft laws from the 1400s or some bullshit in overturning Roe versus Wade. One 17th century commenter has explained the significance of man's creation in God's image as follows, blah, 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 blah. Therefore, the image of God in man is nothing except a conformity of man, whereby he, in measure, reflects the highest perfection of God. Then he cites to Genesis again, uh, chapter 9, verse 6, Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed, for in the image of God made he man. Okay. And uh, when King James wrote that section of the book of Genesis, he was, in fact, still gay. Uh, likewise, the Geneva Bible, which was apparently the most popular book in colonial homes, you know, in the 16 and 1700s, uh, includes a footnote to Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, that provides, quote, Therefore, to kill a man is to deface God's image, and so injury is not only done to man, but also to God. That's cited to Genesis in the Geneva Bible from the year 1599. Finally, the doctrine of the sanctity of life is rooted in the sixth commandment. You shall not murder unless it's the death penalty or looters and shoplifters, which I'm pretty sure that caveat 
is in the King James Bible. I'm kidding. Uh, then we have the great conversation and discussion uh, about the Sixth Amendment with uh, Thomas Aquinas uh, and John Calvin uh, and yada yada. In summary, the theologically based view of the sanctity of life adopted by the people of Alabama encompasses that God made every person in his image. Each person, therefore, has a value that far exceeds the ability of human beings to calculate, and human life cannot be wrongfully destroyed without incurring the wrath of holy God, who views the destruction of his image as an affront to himself. All right, sweet. Then, so the one justice who dissented, let me find his name, I think it's Cook, yes, Justice Cook, uh, so this document's 131 pages long. Justice Cook's dissent starts on page 75. And Justice Cook is like, you guys have no idea what the hell you're talking about when it comes to science. You don't know what you're doing. You don't know what this decision is going to unleash. It's going to bring the in vitro fertilization uh, capacity of the state of Alabama to a screeching halt. And now all of these people who desperately want to have children won't be able to have children because of what you fucking chowderheads are doing right now. And you're writing Supreme Court opinions where you're citing it to the Bible. Yeah. And so the other eight justices are like, there may be all kinds of public policy ramifications to this, but those questions are for the legislature. We are not the legislature. If the legislature wants to step in and fix this absolute public policy medical disaster that we are creating with this opinion, then the state legislature should step in and do that. That's not our role. Our role is to burn shit down using theology. <laughs> Which, I mean, that's what they're doing. That's what they're doing in this opinion. So this whole public policy section in this opinion is a very eloquent way of saying that that ain't my job. That's not my job. Justice Cook argues in his dissent that applying the sanctity of life section of the Alabama Constitution and the wrongful death of a minor act to frozen embryos will have disastrous consequences for the in vitro fertilization industry in Alabama. Although it is for the legislature to decide how to address this issue, I note briefly that many other westernized countries have adopted IVF practices or regulations that allow IVF to continue while dramatically reducing the chances of embryos being killed. Did I mention they're frozen? They're frozen, they're frozen solid. I mean, they're frozen at such low temperatures that if you touch the thing that they're frozen in, it will burn your skin from the cold. That's how cold they are. They are frozen solid. <sighs> These people make me angry. These people make me angry. They make me very, very angry. Um, so, therefore, although certain changes to the IVF industry's current creation and handling of embryos in Alabama 
will result from this decision to the extent that Justice Cook is predicting that IVF will now end in Alabama. That prediction does not seem well-founded. Well, let's check on that. Let's, let's check on that real quick here. Let's check on that. Three of the largest clinics in the state of Alabama that provide IVF services have stopped doing so after court rules that embryos are children. <clears throat> uh, less than a week after the Alabama Supreme Court ruled that embryos created through in vitro fertilization are considered to be children, three of the largest IVF providers in the state have stopped providing those services as they consider the legal repercussions of the decision. Their medical personnel will be arrested are the ramifications of the decision. They will be arrested and charged with murder or manslaughter or negligent homicide if they drop a Petri dish accidentally. That's the ramifications. That's the ramifications. We understand the burden this places on deserving families who want to bring babies into this world, said Mark Nix, CEO of Infirmary Health. Uh, he could have continued by saying, but I, you know, we don't need a fucking SWAT raid in our, in our IVF lab and for everybody to get arrested because somebody tripped and fell into a cabinet and broke something. So fortunately, you know, I was trying to find a silver lining to all of this. The silver lining is that this is an election year and the silver lining is that this decision is right up there with the Dobbs decision that overturned Roe versus Wade. It not quite because it only applies in Alabama. And, you know, you heard me talk about the statistics for Alabama. Um, I mean, my God, they've, they've made keeping women stupid, economically dependent and pregnant. Their public policy that just, there, there's no education, there's no economic opportunity. And now, and now this, in a state that's already banned abortion. Uh, Republicans in the House and the Senate are running as fast as they can away from this decision, trying to distance them, themselves from it. Donald Trump, uh, let's see, I'm recording this on Sunday the 25th. He gave some, I think it was in his acceptance speech after he won the South Carolina primary, uh, or the South Carolina, yeah, the GOP primary in South Carolina yesterday. Which, interestingly, he only won by 20 points. Nikki Haley got 40% of the vote. 40% of Republicans in the South, in South Carolina, 40% of Republicans voted against Donald Trump. That's crazy. Um, IVF has an approval rating in the United States of 87%. It's got majority support no matter what demographic or political party you're talking about if you look at polling. The state attorney general uh, for Alabama has had to come out and say, I'm not going to prosecute anybody under this decision. I'm not going to bring any criminal cases against parents. The state legislature is now scrambling to fix this. And somehow, I don't know how the hell they fix this, to be honest with you. I mean, the, the Supreme Court, in the state of Alabama has said that embryos are people. Frozen embryos 
that are frozen solid are human beings. I'll be curious to see how the state of Alabama, the legislature, quote unquote, fixes that so people can still have kids. It's just, it is, it's, it is such a draconian, overtly theocratic court opinion. It's, it's disgusting. It's disgusting in every way, shape and form. It is disgusting in every way, shape and form. I just, I don't even know what to say anymore. I can't imagine what it's like to be a woman uh, or a teenage girl in the United States these days, let alone in a, in a place like Alabama. What the hell? Anyway, uh, thanks everybody for listening and tuning in. As always, I appreciate it. Um, massive thanks, as always, to my brother Falcon. Uh, without him, none of this would be possible. Um, and a big shout out, as always, to our buddy Wiseacre for his tremendous graphic design work uh, on the podcast website and also on the merch store at hawkmerchstore.com. We have four podcast shows that we put out each week. One of them I put out two episodes a week. You can learn more about those at hawkpodcasts.com. And um, as always, thank you to my brother from another mother, my buddy Anu, for him letting us use his music on our episodes. So I hope everybody has a good week. Other than that, I don't even know what the hell to say anymore. Stay safe. I'll see you next time.